Hello and welcome to In Trust. My name is Rick Kitagawa. And my name is Lisa Lombard. And thanks for joining us for our show about the most valuable asset today, trust. Today, we are thrilled to be joined by Shannon Weber. By day, Shannon leads efforts to end HIV. By night, she hangs anonymous love notes in public spaces with her three teenagers. She's a serial social entrepreneur, author, facilitator, and coach helping people to do work that matters while avoiding burnout. Shannon, thank you so much and welcome to the show. Rick and Lisa, I'm so excited to be here with you guys. We're thrilled to have you here, Shannon. For folks who are just meeting you for the first time, could you share a little bit about who you are and what you do? Let's see, that's a great question. So I am a social worker by training. I am a mom to three young adults, late teens, young adults. Um, I'm the oldest of 14 kids. So some of these are some of the things that inform my worldview. And I have been working for the last 15 years in the HIV treatment and prevention space. So doing a lot of thinking about reproductive and sexual health. That is amazing. So in terms of the the work you're doing, and and this could go whether in terms of reproductive health, if you want to talk about public health in general, or also the artistic work that you do in terms of spreading love and generosity throughout the world, um, how would you describe the change that you're making? Mm. Yeah, sometimes I have a hard time figuring that out myself or how to describe it, because I have a number of different projects that I worked on. But in thinking about getting ready for this podcast, I realized it really fits in the social work framework. So in social work, we think about creating change on the micro, the meso, or the macro level. And oftentimes social workers will kind of specialize in one of these areas. So on the micro level, that's individual work and meso, it's family, relationships, community organizations, groups, and on the macro level, doing policy and institutional change. And I am super drawn towards seeing how something is amiss in the world and then figuring out how to move up. So if I see it on an individual level, move up and make that change at the meso and macro level. And if I see something amiss at the macro level, how is it that I could help or support people at the meso or micro level with coping with that. So it fits to me in these various buckets. And I feel lots of energy from creating change in those different spaces. And for me, the information flows back and forth. So at the macro level, as I mentioned earlier, I've done a lot of work around health equity. So reproductive justice, queer justice, and racial justice in the HIV prevention space. So most recently, I was running a program called pleaseprepme.org where we were helping people get the HIV prevention pill and doing online chat. And there was a searchable location responsive provider directory. So super interested in how we can help people make sense of a complicated healthcare landscape and do it in a way that's sex positive and affirms people's dignity and their choices in their life. And at the meso level, I do a lot of work around workforce resilience. Uh, So I wrote a book called Show Up Hard, a roadmap for helpers in crisis. And I'm so interested in how frontline staff, so people who are doing that important individual, but also policy, so macro level work, don't burn out because that's our most valuable asset, our humans. And so in the health equity space, particularly here we are in the midst of COVID and uh, the righteous revolution and racial uprising that's underway. How are we thinking about the resilience of that frontline staff? And then on the micro level, I have my Love Note project, which 
is writing love notes and leaving them in public spaces for people to find. And I'm super interested in catching people at this, these transitions in life and sparking inspiration or bringing joy and also doing a lot of love note writing and projects that help people to write love notes to share with others while they're still alive. So I'm just not waiting until people are gone to try and memorialize them, but bringing this into our interaction. So though it's a potpourri of projects, to me, it all fits in and I'm taking information and feedback from those and things I learned from those various projects and feeding them into these various ways of creating change. I love that, a potpourri of projects. Something I I noticed that description of the micro, macro and the meso level is that all the projects that you take on um, seem to do a lot with um, some really complex change and very human aspects of that. And a lot of the stuff that can be really tough to step into as a leader. And I'm curious what drew you into those kind of um, hard challenges. Mm. You know, I mentioned at the beginning that I'm the oldest of 14 kids. And so that really informs a lot of the choices that I've made in life and who I am. And so growing up with that many kids and we adopted eight kids. So there was lots of transition and change in my life growing up. And I had lots of responsibility for taking care and watching out for folks. And this is something that informed how I think and how I feel and how I learn to love and to receive love. And I made decisions very early on in my life to be a social worker. So I'm not really sure I'm connecting all those dots at that time, but I can see that playing out uh, in my life over time. And from my parents' just innate generosity, the way that they saw the world, my dad had the saying, he would say, when someone needs help, you give what you can. So for me, it was always this like making an assessment around me of what I have to give. And so like for the love notes, it's writing a love note and hanging it up in another space. It might be something different. And so all of those projects that I talked with you about, they all have in common this opportunity to connect with people at a pivotal moment and make change. And so I'm very drawn to that work, the possibility of what can happen in crisis because crisis or that tension that occurs out of a crisis is also where we can make great change. It's also incredibly dangerous. That's when we can lose people and lose ourselves. And so it feels so valuable and important to me to figure out when in those moments of crisis, can we give people information or tools or the support that comes from showing up for each other so that people can become resilient or make the change that is positive in their life. That's extraordinary. You mentioned something that um, in times of crisis, we, we can lose ourselves in that. And I'd love to invite you to share a little bit more because I think that's something we don't often think about when we're in a helping position. We're usually thinking about the other. Right. In a crisis, the person in crisis can lose themselves, but the person who's showing up to help can sometimes also mirror those behaviors of the person in crisis, or we play out patterns of our own life of how we cope with crisis. And so it really behooves us as the helper to think strategically about how it is that we embody showing up for others in crisis, because we do want to be able to have the capacity to mirror back to them the experience that they have. I I see you and you're not alone, but we also want to be able to have the courage and the strength to pull our own worldview and pull our own traumas and unhealed pieces away so that we can have enough separation so that we can really create that space for others. And it can be very well-intentioned people who can get over-involved as a helper and lose themselves. And this leads to burnout 
It also leads to resentment. It also leads to messy boundaries where you're going to have HR issues that come up. And so it's really worthwhile investing in as people who care about making that type of change, or if we're a leader in an organization and we're responsible for the supervision of people to think about how is it that we can support people in embodying how they show up in a way that's sustainable for the long haul and has really healthy boundaries that are in alignment with the values and ethics of the individual or the program or organization that we're involved with. That's super awesome. Shannon, and I know your book, Show Up Hard, really goes over a lot of the tactical ways of creating those boundaries and and really getting clear about, as a helper, your own responsibilities to yourself as well as to those that you're helping. And I'm just curious, how did that book come about for you? I know we've talked a bunch, but I've never actually gotten the the scoop on your inspiration or or Mm. the kind of the lead up to sharing that gift with everyone. Yeah, that's a good question. So the framework that I present in the book, I actually developed it when I was the director of crisis hotline of Houston. Maybe, you know, I tell you how long ago it was in the book and I'm not remembering it now, but I mean, it was 25 years ago. That was one. So anyways, it was a while ago. So crisis hotline of Houston at the time was the last crisis hotline in the U S that was completely person 24 hours by volunteers. And we took 65,000 calls a year. And you need a lot of volunteers and a lot of coverage for that time. And so, as I mentioned, I'm drawn to crisis, take this job, love it. I think I'm there for the content. And I quickly realized it's a volunteer recruitment and retention job. But that's also awesome because I love people who want to help. These amazing people would volunteer to help. They'd go through this like 40-hour training. They had to commit to working weekly shifts and completing overnight shifts. And we're nearing the end of one training. And we start to go over the rules of crisis hotline, like, you don't use your real name. You don't give out the location. You know, you don't take groceries to a caller. And these rules had all come out of boundary issues that had happened in the past, as you might imagine. And this group of volunteers was like, they weren't having it. And they were pushing back saying to me, well, hey, I, you know, I'm a good person. I'm here to, to help people. If they need food, I'm leaving the hotline. I'm going to go take them food. And I was kind of panicking because I was like, wow, we have this class of people that we've just trained for 40 hours. And if they're not going to follow the rules or, you know, agree to these rules, like we have a problem covering the line. And in that moment of, of that great tension for myself, I thought of this framework. And at the time we used overhead projector for training. So I pulled out a clean overhead projector sheet. I see you laughing. I know you remember cleaning those off and drying them in the nonprofit world. So I drew these set of circles and I began to explain to them how we can understand where we begin and the other person ends. And this is the framework that's at the basis of the book Show Apart. And I continue to use this framework in programs since then. So working again with, I work with amazing people all the time, like consistently, I feel so lucky about this and watching folks get into trouble, not understanding how to set boundaries or watching people burn out and myself included. So I can see these ebbs and flows in my own career and life, my capacity for being able to show up at work where I may feel super ambitious about something, but I have a personal situation either at my home or in my immediate family that's um, causing me to feel burned out. And so to me, these were just ways of being in the world, but then people would keep asking me for tips or they'd ask me to do trainings and I'd present the framework and I realized how useful the information was for folks. And I thought, well, how many trainings can one person do? And 
I, what would it be like if I could create a book and kind of give it to people as a manual? And of course I had no clue how much work it would end up being to actually write a book and not just put the training on some paper. And I like, you know, I really wanted to just hand stamp it and sew it up on the side and give it to people like a, like a little zine. And so that's how the book came out. And then from that, been able to do a lot more trainings and talks and working with organizations about how they can operationalize these principles into the way that they onboard staff and train staff and retain staff. What a labor of love beyond love notes with the book. <laughs> I'd love to get in a little bit more, um, just especially the nature of, of the projects that you work on are really at that intersection of humanity and connection. And especially in times of crisis, I'm curious, how do you think trust has come into play in your work? Yeah, that's a great question. I don't think we talk about trust enough in this work. For me, on one hand, I think about my own self and trusting people, and I've realized how it's actually a deeply brave and courageous act when I choose to trust someone. And that just feels so tender talking about it. And if that's true about me, then it's also brave and courageous when someone chooses to trust me. And so what do I do with the value of that trust someone has placed? And to me, this means something in these random encounters I have with strangers around love notes who will reach out after they found a sign and tell me a story. And I know from those experiences that you can build that trust and that intimacy and that connection without completely knowing each other, but connecting around this love note. And on a bigger scale, I would say, as I think about how we need to grapple with trust in the public health space and in, when we think about health equity, you know, in this time of COVID, you can see these articles that people are talking about medical mistrust. So the uh, distrust from the Black or African-American community towards public health institution. And this is something that we've talked about some in the HIV space, but I'm seeing it now in the newspaper, you know, podcasts and being more widely talked about. And there's then questions like what will happen when a vaccine comes out? And it's fascinating to me because I think that takes this mistrust places it on other people when in fact we're an untrustworthy institution. I belong to a profession that is not necessarily trustworthy based on the history of how people have been treated and the policies that have been made. And so have we earned the trust? And what would it be like for us to change that and not talk about the medical mistrust of people or a person, but to think about how as institutions we are not trustworthy and what is that work that we need to do to become trustworthy, to recreate the ways of doing work and getting feedback from folks and also taking responsibility for the harm and the impact of work that we've done. I think that it's so such a great, generous and brave stance to consider not just, I guess, the trust that you yourself have earned, but also kind of the larger institutional side of things and and how that has historically been mistrusted and considering that i'm really interested to know how do you feel like you have learned to trust yourself as you go around how have you learned to trust yourself as you go about doing your work especially in the context of maybe a larger kind of systemic mistrust that you work inside of oh that's interesting and curious. When you said that at first, I think, I don't know if I always do trust myself and that's an okay thing for me to know what's the limit of what I know and then 
who am I going to go to and who do I trust to get information or support from? But I do know, or I should say, and not, but, but, and I do know that I trust myself to show up even for uncomfortable situations. And I trust myself to be okay with being wrong and getting feedback so that I can be on the journey. And so that feels super important. So I guess it's this distinction of being between trusting myself and being right. So that's curious that immediately what I thought of is like, am I always right? Am I, do I trust myself? But really it's just a journey for me about being willing to show up. And I would add, I think it's very important. That's the work for white people right now in these spaces to really look at our complicity in the way institutions have operated and how we've been privileged and how we've been gatekeepers in it. And so that feels like a really relevant, timely inquiry for me right now, thinking about that and how that needs to shift for us to be trustworthy as individuals or be trustworthy as parts of larger institutions. I'm super curious for you to share a little bit more about what you've been learning about trust along that way as you go about those inquiries. Mm. That's a great question. One of the things I've learned is that, well, it's about, it's a going back to that process of like showing up and being there in the process. So Adrienne Marie Brown in this book called Emergent Strategy. So she talks about a process of creating and facilitation that is called Emergent Strategy. And she has this quote that says, if you trust people, they become trustworthy. And so, as I said at the beginning, I've come to realize fundamentally, like how brave it is for me as an individual to trust someone and the value of that. And then what's it like for me to acknowledge that and reciprocate that from someone who trusts me. And so what I have learned is how important it is to make space for that on that individual and watch that ebb and flow and be able to recognize, am I putting out signals that are trustworthy? Does my work seem trustworthy? If not, where can I fix that? Am I feeling back that someone trusts me? But also for my saying, for myself about other people, does that person I used to believe as a thought leader feel trustworthy to me today in the middle of the multiple epidemics that we are experiencing, right? No, that's shifted a lot for me. And so paying attention to that uh, like innate sense of feeling how that process ebbs and flows is what I have learned. And the thing I trust today may not be the thing I trust a week from now because I'm on this evolution as a human and I really want to be around people that are like that too. um, It's not like I want to lose friends or not feel trust in friends, for example, but I want to be on a journey with people who are also in this ebb and flow process of examining the process of being trustworthy and trusting. That's super fascinating, Shannon. I I think what, what I'm hearing is this, I guess, yearning to maybe reevaluate things we trust and really kind of dive deep into why you trust the people you, you did or have and constantly just being yeah very curious about kind of why you might trust someone else why they trust you and i think that's that's really fascinating how do you determine um or are there specific things that that you now are seeing that made you change your mind about some of the other people you may have trusted in the past what has changed for you that you're now maybe more wary of these people or you trust them less I think people who have kind of stayed the course during COVID and the 
racial uprising when they stayed the course and haven't realized their blind spots and been willing to stumble and change. That feels super uncomfortable to me. Like we have, we, there's so much that we need to re-examine right now. So people who can't take us look at their worldview and say, wow, I need to go on this empathy adventure and check out what other folks are saying and reevaluate if what I valued before is still true today based on these facts that we have in front of us. So I think that's been challenging or that's shifted my perception. And then in, in a not so judgmental way, but what do I, I feel attracted towards people, which brings you closer to trusting. So people who are centering the experiences of others right now and being willing to learn from others. And if they were previous a leader, can they be a follower now? If they were a follower, can they lead now? Like who can be ambidextrous or agile in those roles? Because that's what these times are calling for, in my opinion, is some shifting up of structures that are not serving us and working together to co-create a new way of working together. I really appreciate your thoughtfulness and your intention in looking at that. And I think it's a really practical way that we can be kind of assessing people or um, looking towards organizations and communities that we're around as well and setting the standards for how, how we want the future to be on that side. I'd love to dive into another project of yours, especially in a time where I feel like there's a lot of divisiveness and there's a lot of hate in the world. Mm -hmm. You're a lover. Mm -hmm. And I'd love to invite you to share a little bit about your Love You Too project. Yeah. So the Love You Too project is actually going to be 10 years old in a couple months. It started 10 years ago. And it started as a love note for my kids that I wrote and hung on the fridge. It says, I love you at the top. And then I love you too on these pull tabs. And then people started asking for copies of this and we started hanging them up in places. And from there it's blossomed into painted love notes that I hang on fences without permission for people to find when they pass by and love note templates in six languages for people to write love notes. Cause I learned people need a lot of permission and help sometimes to do these brave things. So I created the, the templates to make it really easy to write. And the beauty of this project is how many people from so many different walks of life that I've had these amazing interactions with. Um, and also the community that can be built around people creating these, I call them public displays of affection. So we can't gather in person right now because of COVID, but at conferences or in store windows and various events, I've hosted these love note installations, which are all crowdsourced. So people will write notes and put them up. And there's this real value of creating um, an opportunity for people's, you know, inner thoughts um, to be seen by others. That's awesome. I actually watched your TED talk that you gave uh, about this, and it was great to hear more of the backstory of diving mm. in deep to the nitty gritty. Um, and if anyone is interested, you definitely should should look that up. We'll drop a link in the show notes so people can check that out, and obviously a link to all your that your Love You Too project and everything else you're doing, Shannon. I'd love to know what what practical advice would you give anyone that's looking to make a positive impact in your field because you have this magical potpourri of different things. It could be any or all of your fields. So I think the advice would be to start, like pick something and start. I was chatting with someone this week who'd reached out for some thoughts and this person is like 
ridiculously smart and amazing and has all this experience. And I re realized like you can get stuck in that decision-making soup and feeling like you need more clarity or maybe sometimes we want permission or, you know, these other things. And for me, it's just been about starting, writing the love note and hanging it. Okay. Giving it away, making the website, please prep me started in a very similar way. Just like finding that small thing and getting started. And it doesn't mean that they will all take off, but I've learned something from each one of these starts that helps inform the next thing. It puts me in circles with people who think, you know, the same or different. And then it puts me in a place that I can give and receive feedback so that I can iterate it. My advice would be just start, just do something. Make an Instagram account and start Instagramming about it or blogging about it or finding a friend that you can write an email to about it at a, at a regular pace so you start doing your thing. I love that. And I think this goes back to finding that trust in yourself to show up, right? Even if you're not maybe not, you might not trust that you're going to succeed, but you can trust that, that you can show up. And, and, and like you mentioned, I think a lot of people, that's a big barrier is finding that inner trust in themselves. What advice might you give someone who's feeling that hesitancy about starting because they don't trust that they're going to follow through or that anyone's going to listen to them? Well, it would be great to find someone who's going to be your cheerleader or your accountability buddy or something too. So who, who else believes in you or this idea and is going to give you that nudge and that poke so that you can, because sometimes we'll do things for other people that we won't do for ourselves at, at certain points in life. So I would find someone. It's pretty incredible. Sometimes we're there as we can find someone who believes in us more than we believe in ourselves. Mm-hmm. I'd love to know, Shannon, what's on the horizon for you? That's a good question. We don't know. What's on the horizon? I'm having the unique opportunity of closing, unexpectedly closing, please prep me. And as a mutual friend of ours, Molly Strong said that it's death doula work. So it's very deep work for me to show up in that space of closing something that I love and I feel so connected to. And my kids are, um, my youngest just started college, but from home. So I feel like I'm getting a gift of some extra time with one kid working from home and one kid in college from home and my others on not far away working. So I feel like I'm in this huge transition phase, figuring out what's next. And the thing I know is that it will be deeply rooted in the practice of giving and receiving love. And I'm still imagining and learning a lot right now and growing to see how that will emerge or manifest. Well, whatever it is that you come up with, I'm sure it is going to be magical because Lisa and I have had the distinct pleasure of watching your work kind of blossom and go all over the place and seeing all of the lives that you've changed. So I'm personally super excited to see wherever you decide to go next. Where can people find out about you or any projects that you want to shout out or kind of push to the limelight? Where can people find you? So I have a website, xoshannonweber.com that has all my projects. And then I would say specifically for people who are interested in empathy and resilience, if you go to the Show Up Hard website, there's a free 30-day e-course. So you get a little nugget every day for 30 days in your box. And all the tools for my book are free on the website to download. All the love notes that are in the book are free to download. So you can really access the, that material. And for people who are into the love notes, you can go to loveyou2, the number two.org. 
and there's gazillions of love notes on there and a love superhero hall of gratitude where people have been caped and you can also sign up for free 30 days of love notes there. I'll send you a prompt every day for 30 days so you can write love notes with the free templates that are downloadable on the website in six languages. I have a collection of love notes in different languages on my fridge and it's something that makes me smile every morning Yay. when I grab my cup of coffee. So I want to thank you for that and I want to encourage everyone to buy the book, Show Up Hard. I think it's a must read for any leader and any team that's doing work that matters. Thank you so much, Shannon. Thank you. This has been a treat to spend time with you guys. All right, folks. Thank you so much for listening. If you found the conversation useful, please join us again next time for In Trust. Thanks for listening to the Intrust podcast. And if this resonated with you, be sure to subscribe or follow and leave us a review. We would also love for you to share with a friend because after all, trust is an infinite game and it's better together. And now a quick word from our sponsors. If you are looking to successfully make change in the world, you need to build trust and lots of it. Fortunately, over here at Spotlight Trust, we've put together a 20-page practical guide that details actionable steps that you can take to build trust at scale and accelerate your change-making. Download your free playbook today at spotlighttrust.com playbook.